Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to the only show that covers our local schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. This podcast is brought to you as part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post, and we are the 562.org. I'm JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gronabasio. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson. This show, along with everything that we do at the 562, is sponsored by Naples Rib Company, longtime supporters of local sports coverage, and really just local sports in general. Naples Rib Company, I mean... They got me through Thanksgiving was a delicious feast. That's unique. Explain the Naples Rib Company Thanksgiving because that is, that is unique. It's I mean, it's low stress. It's easy cleanup. You know, it supports a local business. And you know everybody's going to be happy. A great variety of foods. You know, you don't have to worry about drying out the turkey, you know, or everyone's like, oh, what is, what is cranberry sauce even? This weird gelatin structure on my plate do i eat it in discs do i mash it up all those questions go out the window because you've just got a big slab of mashed potatoes that you want to swim in mac and cheese you know i like the hot sausage you know we had a little cajun pasta you know some chicken some ribs i mean the whole the whole uh the whole gauntlet a little salad in there you know if you want to you know impress your family that you that you eat salad for the holidays you know what i mean you got you got all those options so anyway naples rib company not just for big feasts. You can also just go there for a regular dinner or even a snack. They have uh, like ice cream bars. I know when we went, Vincent loved his little ice cream bar. So that's an option as well. But anyway, Naples Rib Company on 2nd Street. Uh, they have a lot of competition. Their ribs do not. And when you go down there, tell them that the 562.org sent you. Before we dive into this episode full of football, Tyler, we should also mention the fine people who gave during Giving Tuesday. Got a lot of support from the community. Yeah, no, we really uh, appreciate it as a, a locally funded and supported nonprofit. Uh, we do rely on the support of our readers. Uh, we want to give a special shout out to Carl Cohn um, for his big contribution to us, um, longtime supporter of what we do at the 562. Um, and yeah, just everyone across the city who pitched in, uh, no donations too small. We really appreciate um, getting that support from our readers because that's who we do it for we do it for you guys you know we love going out and covering games but it's the reaction from the the athletes that we cover the parents the the boosters the coaches uh administrators everybody that's um you know kind of a stakeholder in in local sports really fuels us and uh, inspires us to keep going and um you know we do need the the financial support so that we can have freelancers and photographers and you know send uh send more people to games and just keep operation going so uh, thank you so much for the support we still have fundraisers going on facebook on instagram um you can hit the support tab on the 562.org at any point um all donations to the 562 are tax deductible since we are a 501c3 nonprofit. so if you're thinking about that year-end giving to try to offset that tax liability um if you've got someone smarter than me in your corner to, to guide you in that direction um if you're looking for a nonprofit, look no further than the 562 baby we are coming off a very emotional weekend, guys. We covered four CIF championship football games for St. Anthony Compton, Jordan, and Long Beach Poly. A record number of local Long Beach teams playing for it all on Friday and Saturday. One of those teams emerged victorious, and that was Long Beach Poly Jackrabbits. Guys, it, it was, like I said, it was an emotional week, man. There was a lot of feels going on last weekend. Yeah, I think that's definitely to put it lightly. And uh, I, I just want to start as we have a couple times in this calendar year when we've talked about this football team by mentioning um, that uh, 
there's been so much loss in our community because of COVID, but also just because of the passage of time. You know, I've consoled friends of ours who coach there who've lost parents this year during the season. I think I'm not going to like do a weird, I'm not going to count it up or something, but I mean, I think something like half of the starters on the team have lost a close family member in this calendar year. And that's something I've talked to a lot of the players and coaches on the team about. And there was a real energy at that school. I was at practice every day that week. There was a real energy that I think comes from that kind of deep deeper meaning and feeling. JJ picked up on that about the poly football program before he'd even been to a practice from reading Don Wallace's book about the 2001 game against De La Salle. But like that is what's different about that school when it's working and it's really working right now. Um, and it was, it was a special night at St. Francis for sure. Um, I think they had a great game plan. They had kids that were ready to execute the game plan. They rushed for 388 yards in a CIF championship game on like six yards a carry. Um, and it was just a special, special evening with, I would say, a really great throwback East Side poly football crowd there. Um, and because of how small the stadium is <laughs> at St. Francis, to put it mildly, um, JJ, I think when you and I were covering a Millican soccer game there a few years ago, I don't think at any point we were looking around and we were like, this is where they should play CIF championship football games. <laughs> <laughs> but credit, uh, you know, they, they really pulled it off. They, it, they created a great scene there, right? I mean, you it made say, it like, incredible. That, you know. Yes, it made it because it was so, because it was smaller than it should have been for a championship. It made it into an incredible atmosphere. Did the team have to walk down four flights of stairs through the stadium to get to the field? Yes, they did. Did they sell out and there wasn't enough room for everyone who wanted to see the game, which I hate for championships? Yes, absolutely. But that um, Dark Knight Rises facade of the balconies and the classrooms that overlooks it uh, is its own special thing. I don't love the poly coaches packing into one scissor lift at the back of the stands to coach in a CIF championship game um, or some of that other stuff. But there's no doubt... Uh, Kylan Anderson, our superstar intern, there's not a lot of move to, uh, not a lot of room to move on the sidelines. We were all packed in there pretty tight. Um, and she ended up getting bipped on a, a play running out to the sideline. Um, there were some things that were not CIF championshipy about it, but the overall atmosphere because of the kind of stress of those conditions was really, really special. Um, and it, it was, you know, it was not beating modern day in 2012 at Angel Stadium. Absolutely. It was not that it, it was something different than that, but it was a really special night and uh, one that I, I will remember for a long time for sure. Well, and I think uh, when, when the games are that close, the players can feed off the crowd in a different way. You know, you mentioned Angel Stadium, like there's a pretty decent separation, especially if you're on the uh, far sideline that basically takes you into the outfield. There's no crowd around you. You know, there's just a big open space. And so you don't and get that, that stupid fountain. That stupid 1980s fountain they've got back there. It's, you know? it's all it's the only like defining quality of Angel Stadium. So if you've lost that, you've lost everything. I personally like the fountain, but we're getting distracted. Yeah, that's Splash, anyway, that's Splash so, Mountain, dude. That's what that is. Yeah, you need that. Um, but yeah, I, the poly sideline was so close to the crowd. They were really feeding off one another, you know, and I, I can't really remember a team being that hyped 
Um, if there had been a brick wall for Ike Mikaele to run through, he would have done it. <laughs> I mean, he was just so amped before that game. And uh, you mentioned that it was kind of a throwback crowd, even down to the yellow pages, you know, the, the cut up uh, yellow. I don't know where someone found a phone book. If, if you're listening to the podcast and you brought the confetti, let, let us know. I, I'm curious. We, we had the homemade East side confetti yeah. of someone had chopped up a yellow pages. And Tyler and I were joking. Like, I wonder if this yellow, if, if this yellow pages is from 20 years ago, because like, where else would you get one at this it, point? It might've just been in the vault, you know, just in the, in the garage. And they're like, Oh, we're finally, we finally have a reason to use this. Uh, yeah. There's still, um, you know, there's still bits, scraps of, of uh, white pages and yellow pages at vets that haven't been cleaned up since, uh, <laughs> since kind of the early 2000s when that was can like I, a regular can I, can I tell a behind the scenes story on the confetti quickly sure yes. yeah so polly uh as i mentioned the fans it's you know they brought this confetti they threw it everywhere you are ultimately you're at saint francis so you're just at their high school so their athletic director let polly's athletic director know hey man i'd really appreciate not having to come in here sunday morning and clean up the confetti from your school's celebration if <laughs> If there's any way you could get some people to clean this up, we'd really appreciate it. At that point, most of the confetti was on the field because the players and parents were carrying armfuls of it to celebrate with on the grass, right? Um, so Poly Athletic Director Rob Schock uh, employed Vincent, my son, to clean up as much of the confetti as he could. And I uh, doubled the amount that Rob had offered him and gave him a time limit. And he was able to get a full trash cans worth of confetti scooped up in two minutes uh, to earn himself a very nice uh, payday of $20, which if you're eight years old is like $1,000. <laughs> it was a, uh, well, not in this economy, but uh, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a paid internship with a matching gift. Uh, you it's love one and a half gallons of gas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you couldn't have really asked for a better stage. And obviously there was a motion on both sidelines, you know, because, St. Francis had lost their, their, you know, longtime head coach who they named the stadium after Jim Bonds. And then obviously, as you talked about, Mike, so much loss um, for, for that poly program, not the least of which was Keith Slice Thompson, who uh, is a friend of all of ours that we've talked about on this show before. Um, so there was definitely plenty going into it on, on both sides, you know, and both teams really wanted to win, but, but Polly's running game and their defense just kind of sucking the life out of St. Francis gradually. I, it was, it was cool to see Raul Lara on the poly sideline during that game. And uh, we kind of shared a moment during the game. So I was running around getting video and I was just like, man, this is like a, <laughs> a game plan you would call, you know? And I was like, some people might think it's boring. He was like, it's not boring to me. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely not. Five, I six told yards him I to carry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I told him they're still running a, a 23-0 right, but it's just out of the shotgun now. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah same, same scheme, different day. Long Beach Poly. The reaction to them winning, I think, was interesting online. A lot of people were like, don't ever disrespect us with that Division Four placement ever again. I, fair enough. You know, like if you look at the scores at the end of it, specifically the way the defense played, like I think anybody with two bo- two eyeballs and, uh, and a sense for what high school sports is can say that Poly may have been a, a little bit uh, under, what is that, underranked, I guess. Do you ble- you bleep and yeah. think so? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we haven't we haven't talked about it the last three weeks because I I sort of made the request. I didn't think it was fair to the kids to focus on this as much as kind of casual fans would focus on it. But let's talk about it now. I think you saw a lot of poly fans who did not who were like a little bit nervous 
to talk crap about that bracket because they're like, oh my God, but what if we lose? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and delete stuff. And so you saw these people who've been kind of biting their tongue come out really forcefully like, you know, yeah, man, it was 56 to 28 in the first round. It was 49 to three in the quarterfinals. It was 35 to zero in the semifinals. And was it 38 eight seven. to seven in the championship? So your defense gives up 10 points in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and championships. You know, I think it's safe to say that the computer screwed it up, right? Um, I understand the value of the formula and why it ended up being the way it was. But I think if you look at Sarah beating Apple Valley 33 to 7 in the D3 championship, Polly winning 38 to 7 in the D4 championship. Those two teams were one point apart at the beginning of the year. They very clearly were low D2 or the top two-ish teams in Division Three, um, And I think that we all kind of felt that way, but the results definitely bore that out enormously. And to put a postscript on that, and we can keep talking about the division thing, you know, I'm with, I'm with Stephen Barbie, and he said the whole playoffs. It's not fair to the kids to go. Like, all they can do is play the games, right? And so that's what we've been showing up and covering the games. But – that Sunday morning, the CIF State puts out the bowl games. Polly's playing Sarah in the D1AA SoCal Regional Championship. I threw up all of my stuff about the Division Four and threw it away because the feeling that happened in my chest when it was like, oh, we have a playoff game where we don't know what's going to happen at all. It was like, oh, yes, this is what <laughs> this feels like. It doesn't take anything away from the championship. They certainly earned it. Um, they took advantage of the system that's in front of them. The system has been slanted against that team many times. I have no problem counting that as a 20th championship. It was a historic night. But Polly Sarah, that top-level spotlight, the biggest game in California this week, like let's bleep and go. This is what high school sports in December – this is what football in December is supposed to feel like. Well, and if – yeah, no no one can call um, Long Beach Poly a paper champion or that they lucked into it because you, you give them the games that they're given. Everyone says like, oh, Polly should be in D4. So what are they supposed to do? Blow everybody out? That's exactly what they did. So, Check. you know, that none of the players were like, ha ha, we're in D4. Yes, that's what we wanted. Many of them were like, wait, why are we this low? <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we can discuss it more as we, as we go ahead with uh, – you know, why the divisions were the way they were and how the point system shook out and some of the issues with the, uh, with the system that may be addressed, but ultimately <laughs> they're going to have a chance to really prove it as they go up against the champion from the higher division, a team that they've already played. You guys were at that game, that Poly Sarah game. Obviously there's so much excitement. We don't have to get the hype machine going, but like, what, what are your thoughts going into that, that game? Same site. The fact that they've played each other, three times in the same calendar year. I'm not one sure that's one. ever happened. It's one uh, to one with a 27-28 win for Sarah and a 27-21 overtime win for Polly as the two previous games this year. That's literally the first thing I thought me. of, Tyler. I was like, that's never happened before. No high school football teams have ever played each other three times in a season. I can't even imagine how that would set up. Well, and certainly it's funny because the one game that didn't go to overtime, 
kind of should have gone to overtime, but there was the penalty on the extra point. So it's like, that's as close as you can possibly get to overtime without going to overtime. Um, so anyway, what, what are you guys most looking forward to at that game? Which by the way, should not be being played at Sarah high school, but it is. Oh, you mean because of the size? I mean, because of the everything, like I, maybe I have to put my personal experience into it, but when Polly played at Sarah in the regular season, week zero opener, this was not a playoff game. There was already way, <laughs> way overflowed, right? There, there weren't enough seats to accommodate everybody. There was apparently a, an incident during the game. I wasn't there yet, but they had to clear out the stadium. There was, or not fully cleared out, but some people ran. There was someone that allegedly pulled a gun or if it was just a fight. I'm not totally sure on that. There was but an as incident a member of, in the parking lot, yeah. An incident in the parking lot, which, by the way, the parking lot is not even remotely close to big enough. So you are guaranteed to have to park throughout the neighborhood, and who knows how far you'll end up having to park away. Um, it's not particularly well lit either. And that was so chaotic as a member of the media. I, I had to stand there for like 20 minutes trying to get into the game because they had to lock it down, and it was – a crush of people they were all crowded around the gate obviously there is still a pandemic happening um there's more interest for this game there's more intensity for a, a state playoff game i understand why sarah wants to have the home field advantage but uh i think you're really taking something away from the crowds the families the players um and the game day experience by having it be crammed in a place that just isn't big enough like polly's not big enough either you know, it's nothing against Sarah. It's not like, oh, they should have a bigger facility. I just think it would be a better atmosphere and it would be a better experience for everyone if you were somewhere where there was ample seating, ample parking, and we could really make it a, a good atmosphere. Because you can sell, I think, way more, especially on a Saturday, the biggest game uh, biggest game in California that day. Yes. You know, you're going to have casual fans that are going to want to show up and people just flat out can't go to the game. And for me, that just doesn't make sense. I'm going to disagree with you, though. It would be a better experience if a different stadium, but the atmosphere will be like very similar to St. Francis. Like, I think the rational thing would have been to have played that game at, you know, at, at a local junior college or something. But, you know, it's going to be a TV game Saturday as well. It's it, it, I it's going to be a night to remember for sure. Like, I'm not saying it won't be. And I'm sure it'll still be fun. I'm just, you know, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't 10,000 fans be better than 4,000? Yeah, but there is, is something about that. There is something about that packed in. I mean, similar to St. Francis. Like again, I if I were planning it, I would do it somewhere else. But when they said, okay, it's going to be at Sarah, it's getting moved to seven thirty because it's a TV game. I'm like, okay, it's gonna. You know what I mean? This is gonna be a. It's gonna be a wild scene, kind of no matter what happens. I also wish that. I mean, it's, it's we're recording this on Wednesday. It'll it's going to sell out today. It's going to sell out three days before the game. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> that is a, that does signal that there's a problem that they probably should have held it somewhere else. But that being said, JJ's video is going to be nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> the scene Saturday is going to be nuts. Yeah, this I is spoken like a say, guy who has a press credential is going to get there two hours early. I'm a man of the people. Let it be known. <laughs> no, no, and no doubt. I mean, we're going to get there at five o'clock. Like we're and we're going to park in the neighborhood too, so that we can just walk out when the game is over. <laughs> I, but I want to add one other thing, which is this. So we're going to talk about the other games in a minute. Um, JJ and I covered the the Jordan Championship game together Friday night, and then Tyler and I went to the Poly game on Saturday. So 
the, that covering that Jordan championship game was one kind of a full circle moment with JJ, but I know we were bummed out as happy as we were, obviously that Compton was playing in the championship. We we're bummed out. We couldn't all be at that poly game. Um, so I'm really excited to get to cover this poly Sarah game with JJ, just because like those, those are the crazy, those have been the craziest games this year. And we co- we're covering the trilogy together. Like <laughs> Sarah games, we covered the CIF championship together. 2008 was our first year covering sports together. So to get to cover this game, you know, this weekend, I'm really excited about that just because I think we're all reevaluating sports in our own lives and those emotional connections, you know, obviously during this weird pandemic time. So, yeah. And those games you mentioned were so close, played, played it on a razor's edge, uh, both at Cabrillo in the spring and then at Sarah earlier this season. Uh, I, I would say the key to this game uh, before we kind of move on, the key to this game is going to be big plays. I have a feeling the game game winning or go ahead touchdown late in the game is going to be a big play. Uh, we've seen these teams battle back and forth, back and forth, and you kind of just like, you know, like a teeter-totter where two, the two people weigh the, weigh the same. So it's just sit, kind of sitting there. It's not really moving that much. I feel like a big play maybe in the late in the third, early in the fourth is going gonna, is gonna to change that game. Um, I've been uh, I've been at practice every day so far this week, very dialed in on game plan and matchups. I think one thing that's really fascinating is there's a really great parallel storyline between these two teams. They both played in that game – Three months ago, how, how that game feels like it. Yeah, it was like three months ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. They both run completely different defenses um, than they ran at that time. They both have a different offensive philosophy. Sarah was missing a couple guys. Polly, you can't even really put into words how many guys they were missing. I think they were. I think by the end of that game, they were down six or seven defensive starters who will start this Saturday. Completely unrecognizable. Um, literally de- defensive backs who started in that game who do not play defense at this point in the season and have not for two months. <laughs> so complete overhaul. Sarah similarly was missing a couple of really, really key guys. And Sarah played a bad game too. They had, wouldn't they have five drops, Jage, that were just two-hand middle of the chest drops. Polly could not get any pressure on Malik Murphy, the Texas bound quarterback from Sarah. Um, So I, these two teams are so different, but they followed a similar journey. Like they, they were, they felt they were under ranked. Sarah certainly didn't think they were a division three team any more than Polly thought they were a division four team. And they went through, they were impressive in the playoffs. They won their championship. And now I think they both get what they really want, which is like a huge, big spotlight state game. And, I, you know, I'm going to mention this in our coverage later this week. I think really the only time I can remember us ever covering a state game that felt like in any sport that felt like a bigger deal than the CIF game. You know, I, I mean, winning the championship obviously was a huge deal, but there's no doubt. You go to, I I was at practice Tuesday night. The Tuesday practice this week was a lot different than the Tuesday practice last week. Everyone, like parents are there. Everyone is just like, this is it. You know, every outlet's going to be there. It's the TV game, everything else. So, uh, but I think those parallel storylines of these two teams that have changed so much is really fascinating. And I think it's going to, it really could go in a lot of different directions, which I think is exciting. Well, and but it is one the one matchup that has consistently lived up to the hype every time. So knock on wood, we're not saying it's going to happen again, but if (laughs) it's as sure as bet as we can see. And I just got to think back to that CIF banquet 
uh, on that Monday with Polly and Sarah's tables right next to each other. If I had been, th- I was sitting like literally if I backed up too hard, I was going to bump Malik Murphy. Yeah. I was able to get pressure on him. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was just funny that it's like, if we had only known, you know what I mean? And it was cordial. There was no bad blood between the teams at well, all. They know they just play good games. Yeah. That's great. It's like the perfect kind of rivalry because they yes. really, they played each other a lot. They don't always play each other. They're very evenly matched. They get along. It's just a lot of good them natured. Grew up playing together. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there is in many ways more crossover between those teams than there is between Polly and other teams in the in the Moore League. I mean, there's a lot of coaches and kids that know each other. And the last thing I was going to point out, you mentioned it's lived up to the hype. They've played six times over the last ten years, and the biggest blowout of those six games was the 27-21 overtime victory because it was six points. I mean, like that's how tight this thing has been. And it's worth noting, Sarah has won five of those games. Polly winning in overtime was the only time they won. It was like when Antonio Pierce was at Polly, they were that close and they were that close and they were that close. And then Barbie was able to get the overtime win. And then Sarah, once again, wins by one point in Polly's first game of the year this year. So really couldn't have lined up any better. And I do want to just take a second to tip our caps to the CIF state because they went heavily and this tells you how much I've been going to too much football practice. They went heavily against tendency in selecting this matchup. Um, I think only once under the current format, have they pitted two Southern sectional champions against each other um, in this state regional game. But there was just an understanding that this is a different year than we've had. Everyone wants this game. Polly and Sarah both want to feel like they're stepping up, which with all due respect to the San Diego section, no one here feels that way when they play San Diego teams. So they put Polly and Sarah together. And in the game one level down, they put these two San Diego powers who are going to play this year uh, in a really big anticipated game there, but who had that game canceled over COVID. They're going to play in San Diego. And I just say for the state of California, they could not have done anything better than that. It's got, I'm sure San Diego's is fired up for that game as we are for Polly Sarah, but like they really brought, and you need energy and juice when you're playing a 15th football game of the season, especially when you had a spring season in the same year, they brought that juice. Add Mike to the list of people who want the human touch when setting football brackets. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes for it state, takes eyeballs. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it takes eyeballs. Uh, yeah, Mike Mike mentioned it. We did cover the other championship games. Uh, did you guys want to mention anything about those? I mean, obviously, they didn't go the way we or they wanted them to. St. Anthony, Jordan, and Compton all losing in the championship. But nothing taken away from those seasons. All three of them, like, you, I mean, nobody had that on their football bingo card. Those teams going to the championship in the beginning of the season. I think the number one thing I want to say, and, you know, we can talk about each game for a minute, but I just really wanted to say, you know, our league and our city has an incredible history in the sport of football that I understand we're, we're not the Trinity league, the way that the Morley was quite frankly, in 2007, 2008, 2009, like the arguably the toughest league in the state. Um, I get that. I understand Polly's not the number one team in division one. Lakewood's not number two or whatever. Right. We, we totally understand that, but I felt so disrespected and frustrated by the way these rankings have um, slotted our teams that I'm just really proud that the city got a chest beating moment with three teams from the more league in 14 championship games. 
uh, a league that the the cow preps formula thinks is you know one of the worst anywhere basically and i've been talking about this with some of the poly coaches and some of the coaches at jordan as well like every league sucks to an extent bro you know the bottom half of the sunset league is not good either and for whatever reason the more league has just been this huge tank to where we talked about it with poly they were low division two at the end of their non-league schedule they blow the more league out they beat aquinas and they fall down to division four in the process of doing that. That's how lowly ranked the league is. And I don't think that it's right, obviously. Um, but I really appreciated seeing these teams get their moment to say, Hey man, like we can play football here too. We got dudes here too. We got coaches here too. Um, and all of the coaches who got to the championship games are great dudes who've really put their time in and earned that opportunity. Every one of those teams had a kid who, Every team they played said that kid does not belong in this division. Um, so I can only hope that this was the start of the climb back up. You know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. We really like the coaches in the league. You know, there's there's at this point a half a dozen programs in the city where you you should feel like those programs are competing for your kid if you have a good eighth grade football player. So I, I just wanted to beat our chest about that a little bit because it, it, it's a special thing. No other league had that you know, to have three teams playing for championships uh, on Friday and Saturday. So that's a special thing for the more league. Specifically to what you're saying, Mike, it was a great reminder that Long Beach is fast. It is still speed city, man. We're killing them with, killing them with speed out there. What did you think about, uh, you know, we, you and I covered the Jordan game. We obviously were hoping that that was going to go in a different way, but I thought similar to the scene we described at the poly game, the most incredible thing about that was just the showing of support from alumni, which, you know, we talked about it. I in our 14 years covering sports, we have not seen a night like that for any sport for Jordan high school. And even if 5% of those alumni remain engaged and give back or volunteer or do something, that's a huge sea change for that whole campus. Yeah. Without question. The, the largest gathering of a Jordan alumni maybe ever. Uh, and it was a wide range too. There were, there were some, uh, there were some letterman's jackets with sevens and eights on them. <laughs> up in the uh, up in the stands, it was it was a really cool scene, and yeah, you're you're right. Hopefully, the people who did go to that game, despite it not going their way, will continue to give back to the community because that place is special, man. So you know, Jordan has uh, Jordan has its challenges, as does uh, all schools, but Jordan has specifically a decent amount of challenges, and uh, and when they do well, you feel it. That Northside chant after the semifinal win at home against Twenty Nine Palms, I'll never forget that one, man. J Town, woo. Well, and, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we talk about it at the college level a lot, you know, when football's going well, everything's going well, but that's true at high school too. You know, it creates this just momentum, this buzz for campus, um, you know, and I think it was super important for St. Anthony to have as much success as they did. You know, that was the game uh, I was at on Friday night as uh, Raul Lara took the Saints from 0-3 to the CIF championship game in his first season. Um, and obviously they're, they're working on getting Clark Field renovated, so they're trying to you know, make, make improvements to their athletic department and having, you know, <laughs> having the community come together and rally and say, we're playing for a CIF championship in football. This is amazing. Um, and so much to be proud of from that season and, and so many great players on that team. So that's just a momentum thing for, for an entire school. You know what I mean? And St. Anthony has fluctuated a lot um, in their athletics and in their enrollment and, you know, having these, these big kind of touchstone moments to have alumni get reengaged can make a huge difference um, to kind of carry 
those programs forward. And I think for St. Anthony, it was big to, to get to that point and show people like, yeah, this guy still knows what he's doing. Still a pretty darn good football coach. Yeah, pretty darn good. You're right, Mike. We do have some really good football coaches in this city right now. Very <laughs> exciting uh, times for these local teams. Obviously, we're getting pumped up for that uh, Poly Sarah game. Before we get out of here, we did want to mention the uh, controversy that's surrounding uh, Modern Day and Coach, Coach Bruce Wallinson and the hazing incident that uh, seriously injured one player and left their program under police investigation, to put it very simply. If you don't know about the situation, please go read about it. Um, but I don't know where I, I don't really know where to start on this because I think we all come down on protect the kids at all costs, right? Like that's why we're in high school sports. We, that's why we do our jobs. That's why it's important. We know that it's about the kids and it's about the future and it's about supporting them. And to see something like this happen is just like it kind of just shakes the reason why they they exist, why high school sports exist. Yeah, I think what really bothered me about this um, story, and I'll be honest with you, I was one of the cynical people who someone texted our group chat with it and I saw the headline and I was like, I didn't shrug, but it's like, okay, you know, there was a fight in the locker room that happens. I mean, there have been, fight, you know, there's fights in the, probably most of the locker rooms we covered, like kids slap box or they fight, what, you know, sometimes that happens and it's modern day. So they never face any consequences for, for anything. When I saw that the story in the OC register was written by Scott Reed, that definitely got my attention because we worked with Scott Reed when we were at the press telegram. And um, this is not a high school sports writer. This is an investigative journalist who focuses on corruption and issues of abuse in sports. He helped break open the USA gymnastics sex, sex scandal. Like this is a dude who does not care if people think Bruce Rollinson is above reproach. Right? He, he is he's, a, he's a heavyweight. He's the he's king. Of, he's a king of the awkward interview. That guy. That guy's never done an interview where somebody's like, "I feel really comfortable right now." He would and probably so, be uncomfortable if his subject were comfortable. During yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I read the story. Uh, you know, I'll admit my stomach turned a little bit. And and again, I I've seen a lot of modern day fans and defenders discredit this as, "Oh, you think they should shut the thing down because there was a fight?" I I don't. I mean, personally, look, I. I I feel horribly for the, the kid that was injured, whose families filed the lawsuit um, that sort of helped to uncover this stuff. But that's not what turned my stomach. What turned my stomach was uh, um, reading an account of a coach uh, telling this kid who'd been um, had his face broken, um, hey, I'm in a bind over how to handle this because the kid who beat your kid up's dad is a, you know, he's a good recruiter. Um, hearing that the kid who was beaten up, you know, the trainer was told, don't treat him. Keep taping ankles um, for, for practice in February practice. with no season. While this kid is, uh, is, you know, apparently in the bathroom sort of slumped over the sink with his face leaking. Um, that's the stuff to me that, and I, I, I posted a couple of tweets about this. You know, I, I hope the, the kid who is uh, the kid whose family is suing, I, I hope I'm sure they're going to get every dime out of modern day that they want to get out of modern day. Um, but I don't know that if that was my son, this would have been handled in a, a courtroom. Uh, that's a really difficult moment as a human being to listen to uh, a football coach who's so far up his own ass that he thinks he should tell you. Hey, I'm in a bind over how to handle your kid getting his face caved in in my locker room uh, because I don't want to mess with the pipeline, you know, and 
uh, I'm disgusted that, you know, people close ranks the way they do around a private school with a coach that has all the, you know, Mark Wicker, who we used to work with, wrote a column comparing this to Joe Paterno. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that you'll see along those lines. Bill Plaschke, I thought, wrote the best column that's been written about this that was just very forceful and plain. Like, this is wrong. I don't care what the name of the coach is. I don't care what the name of the school is. Like, what happened there is wrong. I've seen the video. Anyone trying to say this is just a fight and not a regular thing that happens in that locker room is full of crap. Half the players in the locker room don't look up from their phones as it's happening because right. that's how regular it is. And that's how, you know, whether the debate over whether it's hazing, whether it's whatever, I, to me, that's a waste of time. It comes down to football's a violent sport. Our kids sometimes violent with each other, whether they're athletes or not. Absolutely. But the role of the adults is to protect those kids, as JJ said. And there's absolutely no doubt that that is not what their goal is in that program if this is happening with the lack of consequences or attention to a serious injury that right. happened, you know, for whatever reason it was. And I, and I, I just don't think we're going to get caught up in whether the DA is going to reopen investigation, whether the Santa Ana police find anything, whether the CIF is doing anything. You throw all that aside, right and wrong. Sometimes it's really simple and this is wrong. And it's gross to me that Bruce Rawlinson gets up, wins a championship, holds the plaque up and then tells the media, yeah, I'm not done coaching. I'll be here next year. As his, the president of his school is pretending he's carrying out an investigation that could mm -hmm. lead to a different outcome. Well, Bruce Rawlinson already said, you know, I'm not leaving. And right. so I guess he's above the law. I guess he thinks he's above the law. Um, I think if you feel that way and you act that way around high school kids, um, it's disgusting to me. Well, and why, why shouldn't he feel that way, you know, based on what has already transpired, you know, and I, I, I agree with you, Mike, it was um, a, a disgusting, a horrifying account to, to read, um, but it wasn't really particularly surprising. You know, you've got the, the, I don't think anyone that was really reporting on this was particularly shocked um, that this exists, but it's the fact that it happens and, you know, you, you touched on it, like players do fight or, you know, in, play bodies, whatever, in the locker room. I'm not saying that, you know, that's not unique to modern day's locker room. What is unique was the reaction to it, the total lack of care. That was the most shocking uh, allegation in the, the court filing was the that the, the trainers just brushed aside the athlete that was bleeding profusely from the face. And, and it's just, it, it's shocking to, to think that that could happen. Um, and it, it's, it's on the adults to, to protect that. And now that we are looking back on it, the fact that all of these, you know, you mentioned the DA's office, you know, everyone's kind of covering their butt on this thing because this happened right. way back uh, 10 months ago is when this incident took place. And, and everyone, you know, obviously everyone's worried about themselves, but who's worried about the fact that, hey, this could be happening all the time. <laughs> you know, there's nothing really, if there's no measures there to protect these kids. So if you, if you go to modern day and you're not a five-star athlete, God only knows what could happen to you, you know, but, but you better not snitch. You know, that's the number one, that's the number one thing. Um, that's I, the, that's I, the other detail. I just wanted to point out that if you're in high school sports, you understand the significance of this, this detail, this kid transfers out of the school and modern day files it with the CIF as a disciplinary transfer so that he's not eligible to play sports at his new school. Mm -hmm. That's beyond bleeped up. 
Okay. Beyond. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, look, we dealt with a couple kids in Long Beach this year who the private schools they transferred out of chose to not participate in the state um, grade forgiveness that kids were, were given by the state legislature because of the pandemic, because they were on Zoom school. And those kids had to sit out. They missed a, a, a big chunk of the season because that's how these private schools operate. Um, the big money private schools, that's how they operate. And, uh, you know, if that's where you're sending your kid, that's where you're sending your kid. But not with a gun to my head, would I do that? Well, I, and, I, and I just wanted to touch on one thing for a couple things from the, the district attorney's statement um, that, that came out the other day, you know, defending. It was a very, you know, CYA cover your ass statement um, since there, there were no charges filed. Um, the fact that he couldn't get through the second sentence of the statement without mentioning the media really bothered me. Um, that's just a classic kind of knee-jerk defense to accuse the media of reporting something inaccurately. We talked about the, the bona fides for Scott Reed, you know, <laughs> a guy who's incredibly well-respected for investigative reporting. So There's Scott Reed, a hell of a lot more than I trust anyone who works for the Orange County Diocese, with all due respect. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth, but I'm just saying that's a very big accusation. You know, obviously I felt like it was reported fairly. It was based on what was filed in court, you know, and you're, you're telling the story based on the accusations that were made. Um, I didn't understand the the rationale saying the the DA calling it, you know, mutually agreed upon combat. Um, it didn't seem like the player that suffered the brain injury was prepared to get punched in the face. He thought, and he's quoted, and no one's disputing that he said, I thought this was bodies after he got punched in the face multiple times. Um, from the video, so, it's very obvious that he had, that it was over and then he got punched right in the face directly square in the face uh, another time which is why the police officer who investigated it recommended that the da file fe uh, felony battery charges i'm not uh, weighing in on the you know like i said kids i'm not weighing in on that aspect of it but yes like nor i yeah yeah but but that that was why he reckoned that was why that recommendation was was made by the police well, officer who investigated and for the da to say like well neither kids said to stop so you know, that is that that's just how fights go. Like you can just be getting jumped, but if you don't say stop, they can just keep punching you. They could still he could still be punching him right now if he never had, had asked him to stop doing it, apparently. Um just the, the logic in that is um I just find it ridiculous. Um I know that everyone is in self-preservation mode, but ultimately the adults have to stop trying to preserve themselves and start worrying about what we're actually doing to kids. Um and uh, it's it's a real shame. So I'm I'm interested to see how it goes. But you know, obviously we um we have we have thoughts. We really care about the kids that we cover. And um, I would be disgusted for this to happen to one of our kids. The fact that it happened to anyone's kids um, is, is unacceptable. And I think collectively is we just have to do better in in sports. Yeah, and here's hoping that a situation like this will make sure that this situation like this doesn't happen in other places, right? Like the, just the overall awareness that stuff like this does happen. Hopefully that means stuff like this won't happen as much. All right, boys. It was a good episode. Uh, excited for the games this week. And we're also excited to get into our winter sports coverage, basketball, soccer, wrestling, girls, water polo coming up. We have the previews either on the website or coming up on the website real quick. 562.org. All you need to know about the winter sports happening here in the LBC. So thank you to everybody at Long Beach Post and the 562 
for making this this show happen and all the coverage at the562.org happen. We appreciate you, Long Beach, and we will see you in the stands. Take care.